these guys survived the David Kahn era of Timberwolves basketball and live to tell about it. It's Flagrant Howls. You guys ever watch uh, like Stephen A. Smith on ESPN? Do you ever watch First Take, his morning TV show? Yeah, I have, yes. a, I have an iPad here, so I like to kind of peruse through the morning set of shows for football just see and what basketball. they're saying, you know? Yeah, just getting do, a Do pulse. you notice, right, right as that show is about to start, Stephen A., much like a mixed martial artist or like a boxer or maybe a football player going into a big football game Monday night, whatever, he will literally like crack his neck, like straight face, crack his neck, roll the shoulders like he's going into a fight. That's the body language I picked up from Kyle right before we hit. Like Kyle, <laughs> Kyle literally like cracked his knuckles and like cracked his neck, and he was like, "All right, I think Phil and I are going to spar." I'm like, I, "What are we? What are we going to spar? Are we going to? We might what, hold are hands. Are you mad we at might... my cat tweets from last night? What are we? No, I. Uh, what happened? I was. Uh, I, it was poor timing. I mean, I think we should first get the serious stuff out of the way. Uh, as a quick up- update on my life, my ceiling has been temporarily fixed, um, so the sky is no longer falling. <laughs> Can we at see my it apartment? Again? Uh, yeah, it's just right up here. You're gonna get a good look at my chin, but there is a black oh. garbage bag taped to the ceiling. So the sky that's is not, not even falling. duct tape. It's like it's like actual like it's like scotch tape. Yeah, again, I'm not. I have about as many survival skills as a dead person. Uh, but the so sky not falling at my place over at Target Center. It would appear as if the sky may be falling. Uh, I know you had some spicy tweets last night, so I'll let you, as you They're always do. not even do. spicy. Like, okay, okay. Take it where you want. Take it where you want. What happened last night? Okay. I saw Carl went off. Unicorn, scoring a lot of points. What a, what a great about, night in the association. Dude, let's go to ESPN.com's homepage right now real quick. <laughs> and, and I'll say this. All we can do, I mean, we, we, last night was one of the most embarrassing, Correct. awful losses in, even in a great, joyous, fun season. It's just one of 82, right? But in a vacuum... That was one of my least favorite Timberwolves games, the way that it ended in the last ten years. So, like, we and we can. So that's that's my biggest headline. Yep. But uh, and I, I don't know if they've changed the headlines in the last hour. But last night, let's see here. They might have moved it. Yeah, because there's been like, because the Bucks fired their coach, and so there's <laughs> the Bucks literally just fired their first year coach after the first forty games of the year. I got to find you this headline. Well, they've they've taken it off. No, here it is. So last night. And here's the two different headlines. Not even Wilt, colon, Embiid drops 70 to set 76ers mark. So we're celebrating Embiid, right? Two headlines below that. Finch on loss after Cat drops 62. Immature. (laughs) (laughs) So it's like the Wolves were on the precipice last night of not only like an historical offensive performance and a celebration, but one-upping what Joel Embiid did Scoring 70 points. For a while, it looked like, oh my God, Cat is going to also score 70 points. I think it's my guess is the first time in NBA history the two guys were about to score 70. And instead, the Wolves were so obsessed with trying to get Cat 70. And Cat himself was so obsessed with trying to get to the next milestone. They forgot to win the game. They forgot to make actual winning plays, to play actual defense. And it's the most disgusted I have seen Chris Finch in his three years as head coach of this team. And so that I mean that's what happened last night, and we're here to talk about it and provide therapy for Timberwolves fans. And we were going to we've been trying this for a while. We were going to have uh, a reoccurring guest on today's show, uh, but due to some travel, the Wolves are headed out. I think to Washington because they have the first They're night in, of a yeah. back to back. We can so, say it. Jim Jim Pete was going to jump on today, and uh, he just texted us from. He's literally like on the tarmac right now. He's and we like we have to record right now, and he's two hours away. So we will get Jim Pete on again at some point. And, and we will get him on because I think despite just being the best in the business and how much of a fan we are of him, he also has real good perspective into a lot of things that are tied to maybe like Finch or these players that he played, we didn't. But he also did coach at the highest level on the WNBA side alongside Cheryl Reeve. And I just, I would love to get his opinion on some things because to kind of run it back, right? I know the Wolves lost to the Thunder over the weekend and they had a fourth quarter choke and I don't know if we want to get into that. You've already kind of talked about it on this feed earlier the week. But uh, last night, obviously, Mike Conley rests, so he's out. You don't have a designated driver. Ant's questionable. He does play. And you're playing a Hornets team in one of these first kind of set of four games this week that are pretty easy. Um, And then Carl comes out 
on f- the best game he's ever had, the first 12 minutes, the first 24 minutes. Uh, and anytime you're online or on NBA Twitter or whatever, and you see, hey, so-and-so has this, and it's the second quarter, the first reaction for me is to go check it and be like, what's the score of the game? Because if Embiid has 40 at half, but the Sixers are up 26, he's probably only going to get 8 to 10 more minutes, and that's going to be it. The odd thing about what happened last night with those two unicorns is both guys were in competitive-ish games. Like yeah. the Sixers at home against the Spurs, the Wolves at home against the Hornets, and neither team, and this is what I kind of want to get into with you, neither team was really focused on anything other than chasing a very lofty point total on the anniversary of Kobe Bryant's 81-point performance. Now, there is context into how each of those teams did it, and that's what I kind of want to get into. Uh, but one team won, and it was a celebration, and another team lost. And I'm with you. I mean, last night's game made the Atlanta Hawks loss look like a bar mitzvah. Like, that, that, is, that will never be remembered again. Last night was the worst loss of the season. It might be the most embarrassing loss of the Finch tenure, and it was probably one of the most, because of the context of it, it's like, they legitimately, and you could start to feel it, right? Because I saw everyone at halftime. I was like, this is crazy. He's going to get 72. He's going to be like, the price is right where someone guesses $1,000, and Carl's going to say 1001 and he's going to up Embiid. And you started to feel it slip away. Yeah, they're up 15 at the end of three, but you just kind of had a feeling. And then Charlotte comes out early in the fourth, hits a three, Wolves miss, hit a three, hit a bucket. It's all of a sudden like a seven-point game, and you're like, oh, God. Are they going to be able to figure this out? And they didn't. And uh, everything you said, every criticism I've seen online this morning is accurate. But I am curious if we do a, a pie, you know, a pie chart of blame or whatever. I'm curious to see you and Ross. You can chime in too. Who you associate or assign most of the blame to last night? Okay, it doesn't so have to be an official pie here. chart, but I'm just curious because, yeah, I'm just curious. Okay, I. Ross, answer first. Who, who who is the number one person to blame for that loss last night? Producer Ross. I would put, in theory, not having a legitimate backup point guard option. Okay, I like because, that. Because, and I know that's not specifically a player, but who would have guessed? So that? Tim Connolly. If we're if we're blaming there a we person, it would be Tim Tim Connolly. Yeah, for you. or Mike Connolly for not playing, <laughs> even though that's not really necessarily his fault or his call. But the fourth quarter meltdowns continue to all be centered around turnovers and not taking care of the basketball. And you're asking guys who are not traditional guards or ball handlers to be taking care of the ball and running the offense. And then you're getting again, whether it's Ant or last night cat, you're getting the sticky hands and the sticky fingers and the ball's just not moving anymore. It's the turnovers and a stagnant offense. So sticky hands and stagnant offense. I don't know if I can necessarily put it on a player. Last night and the last two fourth quarters combined with what we've seen this season underscored to me, whether it be via a trade gentleman or whether it be via the buyout market, you're going to have to get another real point guard on this roster. And, and I have so, I have reckless speculation for you guys later as it pertains to the buyout market. Do you like how I didn't even really make a pie? <laughs> I just went to the buffet and made my own. Well, you didn't even blame anyone. Yeah, you just yeah. you just you kind of like blame the situation. You want to get a We want a head on a plate right now, dude. Well, we then were, it's Conley. I want someone that's fired. Give me your <laughs> fire. So, Give me a backup point guard. My answer is Anthony Edwards is the most to blame last night. And I don't know if I would have said, so it's funny because like Anthony Edwards was actually the best plus minus of any player on the court. So on one hand, people are ripping him because he like didn't even attempt a shot and he had one shot attempt in the first half. He didn't score until late in the third and he was feeding into just trying to get cat as many points as possible. Um, And all those things are true. His presence also resulted in the best net rating of any individual player on the court because Maybe he was playing a little more defense than other players at time. He was he was also getting open looks for Cat at times, right? But then after the game, Anthony Edwards says, and I'm paraphrasing, I don't have it exactly in front of me, but credit to Dane Moore for uh, for his locker room sleuthing last night. Somebody asked something along the lines of, did you guys just get maybe too caught up in trying to get Carl to some certain milestone, 50, 60, whatever it was? And Anthony Edwards said, once he got off to the hot start, we were trying to see if he could score a hundred points. So, and maybe he was being a little bit hyperbolic with that. Yeah. 
But at the same time, the, the, the premise of it, the principle of it is still absurd, right? Whatever that number is, whether it's 100 or 70, he confirmed, yeah, we spent the entire game trying to get him as many points as possible, which triggered Chris Finch then into calling it disgusting and immature after the game. So to me, Anthony Edwards would be like, he could have done more to score. He could have done more to just maybe bring, bring the game back to a normal sense of, okay, we're trying to win the game here and not just get Carl to some milestone that doesn't really matter on a Monday night against the Hornets. But I have, a, I have some cat thoughts too, but I'm, I'm curious what Kyle's answer is. Well, unfortunately, uh, I like to talk about sports with nuance, so I just am not going to fire anyone or blame any one specific person that I might have an internal agenda towards. So Carl Anthony Towns deserves blame. If you don't, blame Carl for some of it, then you are just blind because it got really point chasing, you know, feeling yourself, especially late in the game. Uh, And it was, you know, I think Finch said it the best. They disrespected the game of basketball. And I know that sounds like I'm an 85 year old journalist, but it really felt like that in the moment. Okay, Brown. Yeah. (laughs) Like that they were really starting to, you know, whatever religion you subscribe to, I do believe in like the basketball gods and they were toying with them in that game. However, I also have a real problem. They didn't necessarily start the game thinking, could Carl get 81? I think naturally in the flow, he was hooping and he had 40 some at halftime. uh, And he was part of the reason, I mean, he was, he was terrible defensively to the point where Finch had to sub him out late in the game for like offensive defense. Uh, as were all of his teammates. Like, watch watch the game. Don't just get energized by the timeline. Everyone on that team couldn't stop the ball at any level. You know, at the top of the key, getting into the mid, mid-range or whatever. No one was yeah. playing defense. So the guy that might have ended the night sourly and ruined the party also was the only reason you got to the party. Uh, Anthony Edwards had one shot at halftime. Uh, he was part of the problem. He got to a point in the third quarter where it reminded, I can't remember if it was like Larry Bird or someone in the past got criticized or something for like, I don't know if he can lead a team or be, and he's just like, I'm just not going to shoot tonight. I'm just going to go for 20 assists. It, it was like, Ant was like, I'm not even going to shoot. I'm just going to try to get a career high in assists. He was part of the problem. Chris Finch, again, these fourth quarters running really weird. You know, I don't know if I love my final play of the, of the fourth quarter being a Carl Anthony Towns 22 foot isolation. I mean, I get he was in the middle. He was trying to give him some space. Yes, he got fouled. I mean, call a spade a spade. The league two minute report will come out anytime now and they'll say that he got fouled. But mm-hmm. I think Finch gets some blame. But I think everyone gets blame. And the only reason I wanted to bring all that up is because I left last night and I had to log off that it was everyone was blaming Carl, that he's a losing player, that he was stat hunting. I think he was stat hunting. But there was other guys on the court like that could have helped out. Because simultaneously, and this is why this is so beautiful, I was split-screening that Sixers game. And I don't know, man. They won. They won. Wolves lose. Wolves embarrassed. Sixers cool. Joel Embiid was stat-hunting like crazy. They booed Daniel House, Joel Embiid's teammate, when he took a three-pointer. It was an open three, swing-swing in the corner. Daniel House, corner three-point shooter. His own t- fans booed him so loud that I thought it would break that man's confidence. So I don't need to hear that the Sixers weren't stat hunting or that they weren't trying to feed the guy. They both did the same things. One of them was just better at executing and closing out the game, and the other was Carl Anthony Towns. But that also, but you, you can't. I don't think you can ignore the fact that for all the for for the good and the bad, you could you could literally hire Netflix to do a two and a half hour docu series, a documentary. Hey, you get two and a half hours, and you need to tell the story of Carl Anthony Towns' NBA career in two and a half hours. Go. Or you could just show that game last night. For all the good, all the bad. And we'll start with the good. He is good enough. He is a unicorn, dude. There's only been, in 30 years, there's only been 34 60-point games in 30 years going back to the, to the early 1990s. Two of them were last night, which is insane. And two of them are Carl Anthony Towns. He has two of the 34 60-point performances. Kevin Garnett never dropped 60 points in a game. You know, so you have to be a certain level of unicorn 
to even do what he did last night. And I think it was, I think it might have been the highest scoring first half in NBA history. I think in the modern, in like the modern stat tracking era. Yeah. I mean, like, like when Kobe dropped 81, I think he had like 42 points at halftime. So yeah, in the modern era, it was the greatest offensive first half in NBA history. You have to be a certain level of unicorn to be able to do what he did last night. But then on the other side, as we're telling the story in microcosm form of his career, right? He turns the ball over seven times. He gets wrapped up in his feelings and flails and emotions in the second half and the fourth quarter of that game. He winds up with a plus minus. And again, your teammates are a factor in this as well. I'm not saying plus minus is gospel. But how many dudes in NBA history, and I, I have the answer, have scored 60 points in a game, and their influence overall was a zero or minus plus minus for the night? And of the 34, the answer is like, I think it's four. There's only been four guys that's like, you're going to drop 60 points in a game, and somehow when you're on the court, your team gets outscored anyways because your defense is so bad coming back the other way. And so I think it was like, again, for two and a half hours, it was a celebration of his peak talent, but it was also this eroding second half that was like it, him stat hunting and the team feeding into it was all the bad habits that we've seen throughout his career manifested into one second half of basketball. So I don't and, think it's I don't think it's all good. It's not all bad. It was just it was two and a half hours of everything Carl Anthony Towns in one night. That's my main takeaway. In, yeah, including probably those lean years where he didn't have a lot of help, right? Right. Like again, and uh, by the way, not getting the whistle on the final play, mm-hmm. right? Like he does, he gets a he gets a worse whistle than Joel Embiid. He gets mm-hmm. a worse whistle than Jokic. I would also argue that his antics and the way that he flails and the way that he is demonstrative is a it's a different type of flailing and demonstrative than some other players, and it leads to him not getting a whistle. All of that was on display last night. Yeah, and, and I don't know. Again, I, I want to just, again, at the 18-minute mark, last night was the worst loss that I can maybe remember, simply because everything that adds into it, right? Like, you're playing a bad team. You're finally a good team. You're trying to keep pace in the in the West. You've survived the death march. You have this guy getting a career high, and everyone feeds into it. That's the only reason I wanted to ask you, to who you would blame. Is By the way, I said Anthony Edwards, just for the record. Just well, and it's interesting that you said that because I, I'm with you on that. And some people are going to listen to this and freak out. But I also just want to know, for the last three months, we have appointed, this is Ant's team. Right? We've done a lot of podcasts. Like, this is Ant's team. No, no, no. This is Ant's team. It's not Carl's team. It's Ant's team. So if if this is Phil's podcast, and I'm acting out or whatever, like, at some point, Phil has to take over the podcast. And last night, like, it would have been nice again if the guy whose team it was who when I say he's a 22-year-old kid and people are like, he's an adult, he makes all this money, he's having a kid, like, okay, then he's an adult. He should take over or he should show some leadership and be like, hey, guys, we're stat hunting. Let's not try to resurrect the ghost of Kobe Bryant for Carl. Like, let's try to figure this one out. And I didn't say any of that. And again, Phil, you've done this for me and been a great mentor. It's okay to criticize your favorite teams. It's okay, like, there's just so much finger-pointing at Carl or Finch, guys who I would blame for last night. But it's okay to criticize the cool kid with the shoes because he did nothing last night. His inability to even put a little pressure by taking one shot, if he's sick, don't play. That's the Chris Finch thing, right? If you're hurt, don't play. But if you can tie your shoes, get out there and do what you do. And he was awkwardly avoiding putting the ball in the basket. He never does that. He never does it. He did not want to take shots. And it didn't help Carl. So, yeah, last night was a microcosm of everything that Carl Anthony Towns has experienced in his nine years in the NBA, including being on a basketball court and having no one to help him. Because Rudy Gobert, six for six in the field, great. He was a team worst minus 10. So his defense wasn't there as much as he's mature. So I don't know if that was a rant. It's just I was embarrassed. I'm disgusted. I'm frustrated. But I also think it's really lazy if this is the time you pull out your agenda to be like, Carl's a losing player. Because... Anthony Edwards has never won anything. Again, I make the Citadel joke. He, what is the most important game Anthony Edwards has played in? Game five loss to the Grizzlies. What right. is? Jay- but but on the lo- like winning losing, I think we're seeing like this. This Carl has offered more winning traits and and winning qualities this season than we've ever seen. So I would like if you're gonna like if 
if anyone's going to turn last night's game into a referendum on like Carl's value to the team this year, I would fight them and say he's been super valuable. He has been much-needed scoring consistently. He's been healthy. He's played the best defense of his career. But if you zoom out to his entire career, I think it's fair to say, and again, like hammer me for this, that not many players in the last 10 or 15 years have put up the individual numbers that he has with as little team success. And it's not all his fault. He's had some garbage rosters. He's had a bunch of different coaches. And so for whatever reasons that is, that this dude puts up crazy numbers for like eight or nine years, a lot like the quarterback of the Vikings does. Kirk Cousins puts up crazy individual numbers. <laughs> he did it. But He did but it. The, but the, team's, got it but in the there. team success does not follow. Last night was a perfect microcosm of that, where this dude drops 60 points, 40-plus in the first half, and they lose anyways. It was the ultimate empty-calorie offensive performance because of how it derailed individually for him in the fourth quarter and because the team never joined the party and never stopped the party, most importantly. Like, the party should have been stopped by somebody, and I'm with you on the Anthony Edwards. And, that's, and that's Chris right. Finch, Chris Finch too, dude. Like, and guess what? I would if if Ant fire Lee's, Chris Finch. No, if, <laughs> if Ant leads this thing to the finish line one day, I will get an Anthony Edwards tattoo wherever you want it, whatever you want it to look like. But I just struggle with, and that's why last night was perfect. When you're mad, I'm learning this in real time as a married man. Like when people are mad, sometimes you do got to let them blow off steam. You just got so last night. If you have, if you don't trust Finch or you think the offense is clunky or you think Carl's a losing player you got last night was a good moment for you and I appreciate it I've read all those things let it out but all the stuff you just said about being a losing player or empty calories or all that stuff is part of the reason why unofficially everyone in the media and that covers this team everyone has given the keys to this organization to Anthony Edwards and I'm fine I would have signed that petition but again I go back Phil if you're the president and I'm just the VP that sometimes gets empty podcast calories at the end of the day like <laughs> Whose responsibility is it to write the shit? Dude, you know what it felt like? It it felt like, here's another, we love our analogies and metaphors on the show. Mike Conley is the principal, or Mike Con Mike Conley is the teacher. Yep. And Mike Mike Conley took a sick day. And the entire classroom knew that there was a substitute teacher last mm-hmm. night. And the substitute was Nikhil Alexander-Walker or yep. Jordan Amen. McLaughlin, right? I love where you're going with this. And, it's, and instead of, instead of like, the leader of, the, of the, the student body of the classroom saying, okay, guy, hey, hey, like, we got to learn something today. We got to at least, like, do the math quiz that was on the schedule. They just, like, they just, like, did threw spitballs at each other and water balloons, and they just... They messed around for the entire day. I, and by the way, it's it's also more evidence to Ross's point earlier. You need another actual teacher. Like if Mike Conley is the only adult in the room. Exactly. And he takes a sick day because he's 37 years old. And my God, like he's been in the NBA for two decades. He can't he can't take a sick day or take a three-day weekend with his family without the entire classroom burning down in the second half because there's no adults in the room. Well, and I want to go back a few weeks, guys, if you'll let me to when Chris Finch talked about Ant's growth, and we talked about on this podcast, I don't want to necessarily hang Ant out to dry for last night entirely because I think we all understand that the growth is still happening. But what I would say for both Ant and for Chris Finch and for the entire team, what a heck of a growing opportunity they have because Kyle even talks about it. I want to see what this team does when they respond to adversity. Guess what? Adversity knocked and it walked through the door. You've seen it and, in the last two and, games. And Ross, Learn from it and be better from it. Ross, I deal with all the time. Someone is listening to this being like, that loser in the glasses is way too much of a homer. And I was one of the few people standing <laughs> on the This one or you? You oh, both, yeah, both, both losers with glasses. <laughs> uh, I was told that I'm always too much of a homer and too optimistic. I also was probably the one that was like, hey, can we not talk about the percent, percentage chance of winning the finals in November? Because this team has done nothing. As Finch has said, they have faced very little adversity this year. Last night, probably the most adversity because you are a laughing stock for 24 hours. Uh, but to Phil's point, Phil, you made a great analogy with the teacher thing. The one I was thinking of, and it's not as good as yours, but uh, last night was like Carl's bachelor party. Like for real. My bachelor party in Vegas, 11 <laughs> other guys, and my dad. We invited my dad there. So 
I get to do the most cool stuff, right? I get to drink the most, whatever. I know, God, I can't talk about drinking. Uh, but if my friends are getting me drinks early on in my bachelor party, my teammates, they want me to, you know, they see it. I'm having the best time. It's my night. It, I'm, I'm trying to do something historic. Uh, yes, at yes, some point, yes, if I'm yes. getting a little drunk or I'm getting a little too over the top, like it would be great if my teammates stopped feeding me alcohol. And it also would be good if my dad, my coach, who's there, kind of intervened and was like, hey, you're getting a little sloppy. Put your shirt back on, okay? This is Sun chilly. hasn't even gone down yet, kid. So that's why this is a organizational. I mean, what, Ross? You said Tim Conley. Phil and I have said either the players or coaches. This was an organizational failure to not be able to wake up today and celebrate. Conley Towns is the all-time leading scorer for the Timberwolves now for in a single game. And you can't tweet about it. You can't post graphics. You can't sell merch. Organizational failure from top to bottom. And it's another, I get why some people are like, they're going to get bounced in the first round. This isn't the right coach. This is a Mark Jackson, Steve Kerr situation. I get all that. And now, to Ross's point, I want to see them respond. I know people hate me saying that. But this team really needs to face more adversity to see who can you trust in a real battle. Like, if they come out and beat the Wizards by 40 I won't look at last night's collapse as that as I'll look at it less aggressively than I would if they go to the Wizards tomorrow and lose again. Then you have real problems, but they you, need to learn you, from some of this stuff. You know, so and you've mentioned that last night was coincidentally the anniversary of Kobe dropping 81 yeah. against the Raptors like 18 years ago or whatever it was. And and, and Kobe was Embiid's favorite player as he was mm-hmm. growing up. So mm-hmm. I, it's possible he had that date circled and said, "You know what? I can I think players knew. Players, you know, Phil, players know that stuff more than they ever said. And I think that's my question is, was even like Kobe dropping 81, the middle of January is the point in the season where weird things happen. I think players and teams just get bored sometimes, right? We're 40 games in. I'm going to try and drop 80 tonight and see Mm -hmm. what happens. Or I'm going to, or maybe it starts off as I'm going to get 50 points tonight because who cares? We're playing the Hornets and. Like, even Cat was telling teammates before the game, I am feeling it here, like, in yeah. shoot-around. He's like, feed me the ball. We're going to – it's the Hornets, right? We're going to pick up, We're gonna pick on the little kid at recess, the Hornets, and this is the night that I'm going to go off. Was it the Wolves just kind of, like, immaturely bored in the middle of January, or was it a sign of cracks in the foundation? Mm-hmm. They're not listening to Finch as much. And I don't know the answer, and it will play out if they come back, and boom, they – they beat a couple bad teams. They get on track. They beat Oklahoma City in their next matchup in like six days from now. I don't know the answer, but that's what I'm most curious about. Did they peak in December and January, and now we're seeing some cracks in the foundation, and they're going to settle into like the five seed in the West? Or was this just a messing around in the middle of January stretch? And it's not just this game, by the way. It was the last nine minutes, the last three minutes of the Celtics game when they were yep. shorthanded, and they messed around and found out. It was the fourth quarter of the Oklahoma City game, right? There's just some, like, bad habits that are manifesting. Or can they snap out of it, get back to playing defense when they're supposed to, and maybe Mike Conley coming back fixes it all? That's what I'm most curious about. Well, we talked about how cool it is to follow or cheer for a team that is really good at defense, right? Because a lot of times it's just been, we're going to try to outscore people. Last night, 128-125 was a classic example of, yeah, the Hornets have nine wins coming in. Let's just try to outscore them. You know, Kobe did something really cool a couple of years ago. Let's Carl's shooting 66% from three on 15 attempts. Let's just get weird. And it bit them in the ass again. So will they learn? They're always good. There is no better team. Talk about hang a banner. No team in the NBA is more polished at the post-game locker room press conferences than these guys. They always say what people want to hear and what they think should be told. But I would love to see it because I didn't, again, I think Anthony Edwards is not only my favorite NBA player, but he might be like one of my top five favorite people. And that includes, I have parents and parents-in-law and a wife, like ants up there, um, maybe ahead of my father. So I think it's okay that we criticize him at some points because at some point, again, it's like, I just don't understand the linear connections of it's ants team. It's ants team. He's the best player, ants team, ants team. And it's like, well, if he is running the show on the court, I, yeah, they don't lose if Mike plays last night, but I think it's okay that we criticize him. It's the same thing you always say about, like, can you criticize the Vikings a little bit? Can you criticize the Twins? Like, can you criticize no, the player who we are anointing? You're a, bad, you're a as, bad fan. As the best player. So 
Yeah, I don't know. First time, again, they had 34 assists last night. First game all season. I think they were 19-0 and or 18-0 and when they had 27 or more assists. They lose that. They only had 13 turnovers. They were good last night, but Carl had over half of them. He had seven. But you watch the game, it's because his teammates just didn't even think about, on an already janky offense, doing anything other than just, I don't know, here's the ball. And if I have to take 35 shot attempts, which most of them are either drives or threes, I'm probably going to turn the ball over. Uh, I don't know. But it was very frustrating, and if you if you are cooler on this team, I get it. I'm not going to sell my stock, but they have to really look in the mirror here. And maybe it's just January. Maybe it's just the Ides of the middle of the season. But they have 39 games coming up. I mean, they could they could regain the first place and host all the playoff games throughout the Western Conference playoffs, or they could fall to four or five. Uh, it's it'll be really interesting to see. I always enjoy filling my favorite teams in these spots rather than when everything's just really easy because you don't learn much about that. You learn stuff in moments like these. Yeah. Uh, I do have a potential solution to a problem like last night that I want to run by you guys in reckless speculation form here. After we shout out our friends at First Equity Mortgage. Uh, So David at First Equity Mortgage is a longtime, like 20-year Timberwolves and Lynx season ticket holder my guess is you'll see him running around at Target Center uh, once they get back from this road trip. And a few years ago, I had an amazing experience refinancing my home with David over at First Equity. Minnesota-based company, 24 years in the market. They pride themselves on supporting the community and treating every customer as a friend and neighbor. Also, I was doing some counting that over the last like 8 to 10 years or so, First Equity has handled home loans or refis for 20 of my personal coworkers and friends. So we've got a little like roving group of first equity people here that have all had great experiences. Uh, You know you're getting a great experience at First Equity Mortgage. Go to femort.com to find out more. That's femort.com or scorenorth.com, keyword David. That's scorenorth.com, keyword David. So, okay, the Bucks fired their coach after 40 games, which is incredible because I think they're still a top three seed in the Eastern Conference. Um, So that's kind of the latest big thing as we record this in the news cycle. But earlier today, on this Tuesday, the Heat traded Kyle Lowry to the Hornets. for what It was Terry Rozier for Kyle Lowry, right? And uh, protected, yeah, lottery protected first-round pick down the road. So uh, that was Rozier's last game as a Hornet, and, and, and Kyle Lowry is a salary match, essentially. He's, what, 37, 38 years old. Uh, $29 million salary match. The Hornets are almost certainly not going to roster Kyle Lowry for the rest of the year. He's a veteran. He's a classic buyout candidate. And the Timberwolves, for the first time in maybe franchise history, are going to be an appealing team that's eligible to sign players that have been bought out for league minimum, right? How do you feel about Kyle Lowry being the adult in the room as a backup point guard to Mike Conley, like a 20 to 25 minutes per night situation. Could you, A, do you think that he's not the same player he was obviously five, six, seven years ago. You're not getting the Raptors version of Kyle Lowry. He's still shooting about 38% from three. He's still an organizer of an offense. Again, we're not talking about starting him like the Heat have been the last couple seasons. We're not talking about 30 minutes a game. Kyle Lowry as the first potential buyout option in a Wolves uniform. I mean, I, I like it, and the one thing that should be added to that, because I just saw this like an hour ago, is that under the new CBA rules, contenders such as like Phoenix, Milwaukee, Boston, and Denver cannot acquire Kyle Lowry through the buyout market because his salary exceeds the mid-level exception threshold, and all four of those teams, Phoenix, Milwaukee, Boston, Denver, I believe are at the second apron, and the yeah. Wolves are not at that point yet. So that's one thing I kind of heard some pushback about our hypothetical reckless speculation about Chris Paul. Is that why would he sign with the Wolves? Well, depending on how these guys' contracts are, you know, Chris Paul, Kyle Lowry, they have high salaries this year, and if they get bought out, they can't even sign with some of those teams. So Philadelphia is a, I mean, that's Kyle Lowry's hometown. Yeah, I don't Kyle think he can sign with Philadelphia. I don't know if they're hard capped or not. Uh, the guy for ESPN, that Bobby Marks is really good at that stuff. So I thought he said that maybe they're slightly under the second apron, but uh, Kyle Lowry to Philly makes the most sense. I think he. I think he'll be able to reunite with Nick Nurse. He played at Villanova. He's from that area. But as a backup, I watched Jordan McLaughlin again last night, and I thought he was serviceable, plus five in 10 minutes, three assists, two rebounds, a block. 
but he just gives you no real threat. I mean, his shot is so hit or miss. Uh, he was 0 for 2 from 3 last night, 0 for 2 from the field. So they do need to upgrade that. And it goes all the way back to what Ross said. I think Jordan McLaughlin is a really fun player and a really good backup point guard, but I think he is a really good backup point guard on a middling, rebuilding team. I just don't think Jordan McLaughlin can play, doesn't have the experience, doesn't have the shot consistency, and he can't really defend in high-leverage situations. So I'm with Ross. I'm with you. They have to address it. Now, are they going to make a trade? Maybe. Are they going to do a buyout? But last night was another example of they do, whether you like them or not, the Minnesota Timberwolves this season have a window to win a title. And that's crazy because they haven't won a playoff series in 20 years. But they if the right levers are pulled, can fix this and get it back on track, they're still first in the West. So they're going to have to do something because last night, again, without Mike, Nikhil is a great plug-and-play guy. He does so many things, right? He has very limited point guard skill, very limited um, you know, floor general, like the kind of point guards, the old school guys that you and I like. So if you don't have that and Kyle can't provide any offensive threat and Shake Milton, they gave a go last night, he was okay, minus six and 15 minutes, but they need to address that because you saw it again. If they don't have a designated driver, they are just crashing that thing into the wall. And Kyle Lowry, I think, would be a serviceable guy to throw in the driver's seat to help out in those moments. And when you're talking about the Western Conference, it could come down to literally a seed or two could come down to just a game. So I look at this and think, they could have woken up this morning, and when I say they, I'm speaking of management and said, how do we fix this? as quick as possible. I don't necessarily think you're looking for a specific player. Does it need to be Kyle Lowry? Could we wait? Cause it might be Chris Paul. You know, we've mentioned yeah. Tyus Jones before, which is pretty unobtainable. I don't think it needs to be any of those guys. I think you're looking for fit and exactly what you said, Phil, you're looking for an adult in the room who can come in for 15, 20 minutes and basically be to put it politely, a lesser version of Mike Conley, but can look at Ant and say, stop, or he mm-hmm. can look at Kyle and say, no, or excuse me, Cat, we're doing this now. We're not doing it's you with the ball playing by yourself one on five. You need somebody who the rest of the team respects. That's who you should be looking for. Not even necessarily specific player. It's who fits that mold. And then you go find that player. Yeah, I mean, if there was any way to get Tyus Jones for this stretch run, it would be amazing. But the problem is there's going to be suitors for him. Mm-hmm. And you're not like... You would have to involve a. You can't trade your first round pick, right? Is there a team that would trade a first round pick and some matching salaries to get him? And if that's the case, you'd have to involve a third team. You would send essentially, and to match salaries, you're probably talking about sending Kyle Anderson out along with like Shake. So I just don't know if the the that's why the buyout market for the again for the first time in franchise history, the Wolves are an actual contender in the West and a yeah. contender to get. Uh, some of these like league minimum buyout guys. So we'll see what happens. And, and the trade deadline's what, two weeks away now? I think it's uh, two weeks from this Thursday. So, so I'm guessing yeah. with everything you just said and what, what Ross just said, uh, third team, find a point guard, don't want to give up too many assets. You guys are probably both out on the D'Angelo Russell reunion because the Lakers are looking for a third <laughs> team for him. Dude, he knows he knows shocker. the password into Mayo Clinic Square. He knows how to get in the building. So Man, I would. That, Can I don't you imagine? Think it won't happen. I'm just, can you imagine? No, there's no chance, right? There's How many times can one player, we, we've had wo- random wolves of the week who have played for the same franchise a few times. How many times can we find a player that played for multiple franchises multiple times? Yeah. There can't be many of them. Dude, he's, he is destined, I, I've said this for, I think I gave him a chance his first year here to see, okay, Gerson's vision is for D'Angelo Russell to be like the James Harden, the heavy usage player. And they realized pretty quickly, okay, he's not that level of a player. He was a good player, and he helped the Wolves go from, you know, 28 wins to 40, whatever it was. He is destined from now until the end of his prime to go to a bad team and just average like 23 points a game on 21 shots. And and they're going to, he's going to help some team tank just like uh, Jordan Poole, right? He's, he's, I don't think he's that big of, Jordan Poole is like, even more head in the clouds, oblivious sort of team cancer guy. But that's D'Angelo Russell is Stefan Marbury. He'll help you get to like 40 wins and an eight seed. If you're asking for anything more than that, you're probably not going to be uh, 
too happy with it. Yeah, when you really so, need no, them, I, I they'll probably just be eating that. Vaseline. Uh, <laughs> so just to kind of close the bo- loop on this, put a bow on it, whatever, both of you, I'm just curious. Because, again, last night was such a frustrating loss, and it really highlights some of the things that drive anti-cat people crazy, anti-finch, anti-just this team's ability to ever do anything normal and not just, you know, again, pull the football out. Do you still have faith in them? Where, where are you at on expectations of, like, can they still... Because our goal has always been, right? Our, this season was, like, we would all mark it as a victory if they won a playoff series, right? I think we all agreed on that. Yeah. I would I would answer it this way. The last the last two games, <laughs> so the, the fourth quarter against Oklahoma City, and then, the I guess, the fourth quarter against Charlotte. We'll just call it the last two fourth quarters. Definitely have me on alert. Mm-hmm. But it's a different kind of alert because, like, the alert last season was, oh, these red flags could prevent them from making the playoff bracket because they, they're going to have to, like, work their way through the plane. So when I say on alert, I mean, like, falling into the 5-6 to six seed range in the Western Conference. So, I th- it's, so at least they're operating on a different level. But I also... I trust Tim Connolly. I think he knows what he's looking at. He clearly knew what he was doing with yep. the Rudy Gobert trade, as everyone torched that guy for a year. And even we were start, you know, we're kind of a Homer podcast here, <laughs> and and we were kind of like on the fence about Tim Connolly and that trade a few months in. But every move that dude has made has been aces for this team. And so I guess I trust, based on the evidence, you know, a year and a half of transaction evidence, I trust that he's looking at this ball of clay and knows what it needs to be molded into, and he will make an impactful move sometime in the next probably two weeks. I'm guessing. So I'm still in. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. I don't know that they're going to finish as the one seed, but like, I'm, again, not, I'm not bailing on this team and their chances to to win a playoff series or two. It's funny that you bring up the last two games <clears throat> because if you just looked at the Thunder game. And then last night's loss to the Hornets. Two losses, what, second time now they've lost back-to-back games. Mm-hmm. What is the one thing that stands out about those two games, if I just put you on the spot? Uh, I would say Anthony Edwards not really knowing how to navigate the the end game. Because I would say one game Mike Conley didn't play, and the other game he maybe shouldn't have played. Uh, That's fair. And, you know, I rewatched that Thunder game from all different angles. Despite... Everything that is wrong with this team and their ability to execute down the stretch and their offense, Ant found a wide-open Mike Conley in a corner slot for a three that if he hits, they probably win that game. And that's not an excuse. I'm not trying to fluff it up. I'm saying it's almost more drastic to what Ross's original point was. You cannot have this team that tied to one guy, especially when that guy is the oldest player on the team. So I don't know if they can. I know they can right now. I think they can start to negotiate a new deal with Mike. That probably is something you figure out this summer, but... It's also just put a pin in it. They have got to make sure that that man retires here because they have shown that without him, they just don't really know how to play basketball. And that's Would a you bummer. Take Mike be- Conley as the next coach of the Wolves, when, whenever and however that happens. I'm not firing Finch. Oh my like, god! I think, I think that Woo! dude's going to be a coach at some point. I really do. I yeah. I mean, I, I think if I'm not as high as on Chauncey Billups, I think he's a great player. Wolves, you know, star, but. He hasn't really made it, and he walked into a really good job at the time with the Blazers when they had Dame and they had contending-ish pieces. So Mike Conley, the track record he's built, the resume he has just with his basketball game, but also just the person he is, he would have no problem getting a head coaching job. So, But, you know, again, anytime you talk to him or anyone around him, he loves playing basketball, and he wants to play basketball until I think his legs fall off. So they have to keep him. It's no longer a question of Kyle or Mike. It is Mike, Mike or, yeah. you know, Carl. I mean, it is Mike Conley is the number one thing that this team needs to figure out in the next couple of months, keeping him healthy short term because without him, they're, be- they're lost and keeping him long term because a lot of this still is tied to what he can do on the court. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, we have like we have like five <laughs> minutes left for a Kyle's question of the week here. If. If you want to, uh, you want to explore uh, this so game. this is uh, again that was a uh, forty-five minutes of basketball talk. We <laughs> have come to a conclusion that everyone's to blame. That you know, Carl, Ant, Jaden, anyone that played last night didn't do a good enough job of realizing in the moment, right? Self awareness. Okay, guys, we're having fun. The big you know big purr is purring, 
but we might lose this game and that would be really bad and no one stopped the bleeding so they all get their wrists slapped but i woke up today finally logged back on couldn't go on wolf's twitter yet and uh saw that there was a really big announcement and phil we like talking sports business on this pod so i also know we like talking wrestling me ross and you so what were your initial thoughts to the netflix slash wwe kind of agreement to start streaming monday night raw and all of wwe stuff exclusively on netflix it's crazy i think this is i don't know i don't know where all of this is headed in like five or ten years but i know that usa network is probably nothing without wwe rights right i know that tnt if they ever lost the nba tuesday and thursday night packages in the nba playoffs and the Eastern Conference Finals is probably, it's like Law and Order reruns and mm-hmm. movies, mm-hmm. like Marvel movies. So I, I know that we're, we're going from this sort of linear programming model that we all grew up on. It was cable forever. And then, and then platforms like YouTube uh, TV and Hulu Live, right? And Sling TV came in. I really think really the, the only live programming that matters anymore is sports. I would say like breaking news networks, people do love tuning into their CNNs and Fox Newses and stuff. Politics, news, sports, and maybe like award shows. Otherwise, most content is on demand anyways. And so Mm -hmm. if these on-demand platforms like Netflix, Amazon bought a huge chunk of NFL rights a couple years ago. They're doing Thursday Night Football. Hell, Peacock, Peacock just, NBC just said, hey, we're going to take a Chiefs playoff game a week ago. And we're going to throw it on a paywall platform. So this is these whether it's a network that's looking to leverage NFL rights for its streaming platform to get more subscribers, or whether it's Amazon and Netflix with exclusively on-demand content platforms looking to leverage rights. This is where it's headed, man. Like Netflix jumping into a WWE, it's but it's ten years, five billion dollars. So this makes Netflix an official player for sports rights. Does this, when the NFL and the NBA are up again, does, I mean, this sounds crazy, but like, could Netflix buy a Thursday night? Could Netflix steal like a Thursday night NBA game from TNT or something? You and know, th- this is where we're headed with this stuff. It's that meme, right? Where the guy is setting up the one domino and then their bigger dominoes up until like the life size domino. If you mm-hmm. woke up today and you saw this report about Netflix and WWE kind of getting into bed together and you're like, ah, whatever, I get that. I want to bring it up because there's nothing to do with wrestling. It has everything to do with that, you know, the sport that we cover here on this show is having their TV rights up for grabs and stuff. And just Netflix just came in with cash and said, we're going to buy that. And this ties into what the twins are got going on, right, with Bally Sports and Diamond and all that stuff. It's just it's going to be interesting. One, how do people watch their sports moving forward? How are that? What subscriptions do they have? Are we just getting away from cable? I mean, you said that, what, if TNT lost basketball rights, like they might kind of cease to exist if ESPN the worldwide leader lost all their live rights they might not like who's going to tune into ESPN anymore if they don't have you know Monday night football and all the college basketball stuff so it's really interesting and it also ties into this is how you figure out salary caps and this is how you figure out revenue sharing all this stuff so it was completely unrelated to the Timberwolves taking a dump down their leg last night on on whatever, you know, if you, I guess if you could find the game on Bally's Godspeed, but it is going to affect these sports moving forward, and it was the first domino in what I think is going to be fascinating next five to ten years because Apple and Amazon and Netflix and these places just literally are sitting on beds full of money, the, the money Phil's under the mattress. Point, to Phil's point, anybody who picks up any type of sport, and yes, WWE counts because it's live yes. appointment television, that is a huge win, Phil. Great point on like the CNNs, the Fox Newses of the worlds for when debates are happening or election coverage. But that's it. Anybody can get Law and Order SVU pretty much anywhere whenever they want mm-hmm. it. So having the appointment television is going to be big. So it's a big win for anybody who gets one. A huge loss in this case for Peacock, who is losing WWE. But they still have a lot of other live sports. I'm going to dovetail a little bit. And I want your guys' opinion on this. I know Judd has brought this up, too. It is still, even as a a 37-and-a-half-year-old, it is still my biggest complaint and one thing that I still do love about cable, even though you're overpaying for it. 
switching from app to app to try and watch live sports is insanely more hard than it needs to be. It slows the process down. You will miss things when you're jumping from app to app because it takes seconds, if not minutes, where cable just has the master flip. Oh, so I'm there. Who, but this I'm is there. But that's more of like a that's more of like an interface issue than anything else. I mean, right. so I, I need somebody to fix that interface. So here's my question cuz this is very this is I love this cuz this we're like down Everything's coming through. Three old dudes now. complaining about how I can't just go up one channel from 621 to 622 to get from ESPN2 to FSN or Bally but Sports. Like, or whatever is that. there a way for someone to come in? I mean, obviously, like the designers of the original iPhone came up with a great interface where you can just like easily toggle back and forth between your text messages and then your Twitter app and then whatever, like your Uber Eats, whatever it is. Like so, I I have uh, I have a TCL TV in our living room, former sponsor of right, love it with the built-in Roku, and you have to literally exit out, go back yes. in. Like, could Roku just rearrange so that you can have a menu of like almost like a cable menu, right, of apps and content happening on those apps? And to me, it's 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 less about like Xfinity coming in, and it's more about hey, can Roku just sort of fix this for me, yes. so I can just. And hit less buttons. And Phil, buttons. since we're technically streaming it and we have these insanely smart computers and TVs, could I not just throw two up on the same 70-inch screen at the same time versus having to flip back and forth? There's got to be somebody who's a heck of a lot smarter than I am that can make this work. And I know it's not out there yet because I've brought this up numerous times and nobody has told me that it's out there, nor has anybody found it, nor have I seen a product. But it it should literally only take a split second to go from peacock to netflix and it doesn't and that's what's frustrating and and i saw i'm an apple tv guy so i have all my apps on there and i just steal my friends accounts uh for netflix and hulu and everything else but can we also maybe not get streaming 45 second delayed uh like you know like that would be cool um i'm paying top dollar for all of these products and services it would be cool if i wasn't in the third quarter and phil was in overtime like it would that would just that'd be wild so i don't know i i I don't think it's a hot take because it will never happen but i won't surprise you guys i still pay for cable uh, i love just a good channel flipping from tbs to tnt just makes me feel alive to go from you know bob's burgers to law and order svu the greatest show of all time uh so i'm still on the cable bandwagon if we get back to cable i'll be a happy person but if we're going to go into all streaming can we bundle it can we come together can we tear down these walls that we have and have netflix the, the right side and the left side come together netflix and amazon and just put it all in one app so i don't have to waste half of the time trying to figure out my peacock subscription because me and the swifties had no clue how to get that football game and i missed the first touchdown Oh, man, right. I had I had something Sorry. to add to that, and you took me away from it. All I can now think of is, is Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. <laughs> Someone will solve this. Someone smarter than us, clearly tear down smarter these than us, walls. Will, will solve this. Uh, maybe it could be Chris Finch as he solves his, his team's fourth <laughs> quarter issues and solves the you know, embarrassing, maybe, the, con- the content uh, toggling issue. Maybe that's what he was doing last night. He wasn't coaching. He was spending too much time on the tablet How's trying to go through the apps. Netflix and the, this WWE thing? It's ridiculous. So, anyways, hey, thanks for uh, <laughs> listening to this therapy session. And, Greatest podcast uh, around. We'll be back on Thursday with this version, the Phil Kyle Ross version of Flagrant Howls and a random wolf of the mm. week. Please click the like button and the subscribe button on the Score North YouTube channel. And if you could also on Apple Podcasts and Spotify, give us a five-star rating and a positive review. That's the best way you can help us grow this podcast on the audio side. So, all right. Thank you guys for hanging out. This is your favorite Timberwolves lifestyle podcast, Flagrant Howls.